The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, and it's officially my birthday month. Even though the number gets uncomfortably bigger, and no one ever really shows shock anymore when I say I have kids in college, subtext, I must look old enough to have college-aged kids, there is still so much joy in all that December represents. In addition to December being my birthday month, this is also the time of year that world leaders convene for their annual climate change conference. This year's COP, or Conference of Parties, is being held in Dubai, United Arab Emirates, and a bipartisan congressional delegation will be in attendance. Giving us a preview of what he's planning to follow during COP28 is Politico's Zach Coleman, a longtime journalist on the climate beat who has written for e News, the Christian Science Monitor, the Washington Examiner, and The Hill, and has freelanced for several other publications. We caught up with Zach right before his departure for Dubai, so listeners, stay tuned to hear what Zach is expecting to be the hot topics of this year's climate conference. Welcome back, listeners. I'm really honored to be in conversation today with political reporter Zach Coleman. Zach, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So, you know, we saw your series of articles that you um, collaborated with some of your colleagues to write about the upcoming COP, um, the COP28 in Dubai. And we thought it would be really interesting just to get a little hot take from you on what you are looking for as those um, negotiations, I guess we could call them as this big global event um, goes, uh, kicks off this week as the time that listeners are hearing it will have been in session for a couple of days. But what do you think is going to happen? What does your crystal ball say? Well, I think one of the biggest issues that we're going to be talking about is how these countries come together and write what they think will happen in terms of fossil fuel phase down or phase out. And I say write this because it's a, a text that will get a lot of political haggling and debate. And it seems as if those words are maybe insignificant to the layperson, but phase down is taken to be a softer sort of touch to how we move away from fossil fuels. It envisions still using them and maybe even for a longer period of time, but potentially with carbon management technology like carbon capture and storage. Uh, and then there's also phase out, which is basically let's stop using this stuff altogether, which is the more aggressive approach. And then you'll also get into terms like unabated versus abated fossil fuels. Uh, the U.S. has taken the position that they want a uh, phase out of unabated fossil fuels, which would be those uh, fuels without emissions control technology. And, you know, there's still a debate over what abated means because you know this is a, a big question of how much capture is required uh, how effective are these solutions so there's going to be a lot of political haggling over that uh, one of the bigger other political items on the the ledger here is the global stock take that is a 
very technical term, of course, uh, but it is a very important one. It is designed to track how well countries have done on meeting their climate goals that they set forward under the Paris Agreement, uh, their their national action plans, their nationally determined contributions. So we already know we're pretty far off track of what the Paris goals were, which was keeping temperatures well below two degrees Celsius uh, compared with pre-industrial levels. That global stock take at the end of this COP is meant to sort of set a direction of travel for the next two years, which countries are going to use to set their next round of nationally determined contributions, which are their national climate strategies. And that is important because those plans, which are due in two years, will cover the next 10 years after that, so through 2035. And that's really when you need to start seeing significant emissions cuts if we're going to do what the science says we need to do. I feel like in this year, 2023, which um, scientists are already kind of pre-predicting will be the hottest on record, for the first time I saw, well, two degrees warming, keeping it under two degrees warming, global warming is probably not possible. And the option of like, what happens if we have to go into the three range? And that's really scary, right? To have that be the mindset when we are at this time where we're just breaking records left, right, and center. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the climate scientists I talk to say 1.5 C is certainly not realistic. And that is the goal that John Kerry in the US and the European Union want to highlight. They want to keep our eyes trained on 1.5 C. And, you know, it, it's it's going to be hard to hit that. I mean, that's one of the things that the global stock take will take into account. You know, do you set your sights on that still? And certainly they're going to be pushing for as much ambition as possible. I think that's why a lot of the conversation has shifted, though, to things that are kind of outside the cop. I mean, you see a lot of conversation about technological innovation. You see a lot of conversation about financial flows. I mean, you need to get money flowing. Uh, one of the things that we're going to talk about at the COP is this goal of tripling renewable energy capacity by 2030 globally and doubling energy efficiency. Well, it's hard to imagine that happening without a lot more money flowing and especially flowing to places where it's already a difficult investing environment for the private sector. You look at developing countries where there's political risk and foreign exchange currency risk. Uh, you know, these are, these are, things that need to be overcome if we're going to start hitting these goals. Zach, you opened by talking about this um, issue about fossil fuel phase down versus abatement. How do you think that conversation is made more difficult because of where the COP is located this year in the Middle East? Yeah, I mean, this is the whole moral hazard question, right? I mean, if you allow for space for carbon management, for carbon uh, capture and, tech, and sequestration technology, do you then extend the lifeblood of the oil and gas industry? And are they going to actually put resources towards those solutions at the scale that's required to get on top of the climate problem? And, you know, I think what you've seen in the last couple of years is skepticism that they will do that given the profits that oil and gas companies generated from the fallout of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I mean, they could have taken those profits and shoved it into new greener solutions, but you know they haven't done that at scale uh, required to meet the science. So you have the same sort of moral hazard issue here with the UAE hosting the COP, which is this is a country that is the seventh largest oil and gas producer in the world. So you do need them to green 
their own economy and to come up with a different way of, of generating a, a sustainable lifestyle for their citizens uh, if you're going to solve climate change as an issue. But, you know, you have the head of the Abu Dhabi National Oil Corporation, Sultan Al-Jaber, who is also leading the COP28 talks. And it brings into question, like, you know, there's this theory of change that if we need the UAE to also be a partner in the green transition, well, then who better than to have the head of the oil company for the country leading these talks? But there's also the question of, will he do the bidding of the oil industry and will that drag down ambition in these negotiations? And there's been some revelations in recent weeks that call into question whether he can be an impartial arbiter of these conversations. The BBC and the Center for Climate Investigations and Reporting uh, published some documents that suggested ADNOC is is getting their talking points into some of the COP28 discussions with diplomats that are supposed to be about the actual negotiations. That would be some self-dealing that would confirm the worst fears of the skeptics of the UAE hosting these talks. Sultan al-Jaber has forcefully denied that those talking points were ever anything that he had seen, and he has said that that is not the case here with this self-dealing, but you know these are the worst fears that skeptics had. On the plus side, we're seeing a really sizable um, U.S. congressional delegation attending the talks. Yes, I mean, that is... Uh, an, and and yes. bipartisan, bipartisan right. delegation. Yeah, so the U.S. is going to be sending quite a few lawmakers, and it remains to be seen exactly what their message is going to be. I think the message they're going to be hearing from the international community is, where's the money? And President Joe Biden has committed to... $11.4 billion of annual climate finance by 2024, it remains difficult to envision the House Republican uh, majority going for that kind of spending. So what is the U.S. delegation going to say in response to these very real concerns that the U.S. cannot deliver public finance for a problem that the U.S. has caused more than any other country? I mean, the U.S. has contributed more to the historical emissions that have driven the climate change that we're experiencing today than any other country. So that is going to continue to be something that dogs the U.S. delegation, no matter what message they're trying to bring about all the other good that they've done in terms of the IRA, the technological innovation that has spread across the world because of the investment of U.S.-based corporations. Those things are acknowledged, but they're not enough for a lot of the parties negotiating at the COP. Do you read anything into President Biden deciding not to attend? I don't read a whole lot into that. I mean, I think that obviously it would have been a stronger statement for the U.S. if he had gone. But John Kerry, the special envoy for climate, is a well-known and respected figure, certainly internationally and certainly at the COP. I mean, he has his own uh, gravitas. And I, I, I think that people know that he has the president's ear and that that is a strong presence from the U.S. with him still in that position. Yeah. You know, he, I think he was at the first cop and he, he goes pretty far back. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's, it's great to have that kind of um, consistency and continuity, but it is nice to see some fresh faces, so to speak, also attending some um, house Republicans, including Kathy McMorris Rogers, um, chair of the energy and commerce committee listeners, um, attending her first COP, but also leading that congressional, that bipartisan congressional delegation. That's 
I think, you know, even if, uh, as you said, it might be hard to reach, um, to have a consistent or an overwhelmingly strong bipartisan message, at least there is bipartisan interest in attending these talks. Right. And, you know, I think that's important to show that the U.S. is going to be there. It will be interesting to see how the Republicans who are attending uh, message on questions of how they're different than Donald Trump or how they're similar to Donald Trump, because that hangs over this attendance. I mean, the former president is the front runner for the Republican Party nomination for president. And if you recall, he pulled the U.S. out of the Paris Climate Agreement and became the U.S. became a pariah in these conversations. So how does this Republican Party and this uh, this congressional delegation uh, you know, handle that that question of how are you like Donald Trump? Do you want to be like Donald Trump? What is your role here? And then putting those lawmakers in that position that a lot of GOP lawmakers are finding themselves in, where they either have to like kiss the ring or kind of go their own way, which has its own risks. And um, so, yeah, that'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, one more topic I just wanted to touch on. It seems like there is. Um, at least domestically here in the U.S., um, some bipartisan coalition around trade policy. And I understand that there will be a day dedicated to that nexus between climate and trade at the COP. Um, Do you see that as being a possible avenue where the U.S. could make some kind of big moves, so to speak? Listeners can't see that I put that in air quotes, but maybe that could be kind of um, our, our entry point into policy that will actually make a difference reducing carbon emissions. That's where I'm most optimistic about some sort of bipartisan consensus emerging. Consensus is a maybe too broad a term uh, because, you know, you're going to see some differences in approach. But I think the idea of using trade policy and melding it with climate is just very common sense for where this conversation is heading, because we do see that we have cleaner production of a lot of the raw materials we need to build things in this world in the US compared to adversaries like compared to rivals like China, Russia, and places like Turkey. I mean, so the, these are clear advantages for the US. And I think lawmakers on both sides of the aisle realize that it's just about what is the design here. And there are some concerns about the World Trade Organization and running afoul of it that is held in different different emphasis by different lawmakers and different parties. So, you know, what is the kind of sweet spot for a policy here? Do you need a price on carbon? Do you not? Uh, do you coordinate with the European Union? Do you try to get a coalition of the willing for whatever standard we pursue? I mean, there are a lot of tactical, strategic policy questions here, but I think the direction of travel is pretty clear that we're going to see this convergence of climate and trade policy. Zach, will you be there in person or are you going to be reporting from half a world away? I will be arriving Monday, December 4th uh, and staying until the end. And it's scheduled to end December 12th, but it will not end December 12th. I, I would put money on that. Well, we wish you safe travels and we look forward to following your reporting uh, from the trenches, so to speak. Thanks so much. It was great being on. Listeners, if you enjoyed that interview and all the interviews that you have heard on the Eco Rights Speaks for these past seven seasons, 
not to mention all the other content that we bring, please consider this is the one time we ask joining us in honor of Giving Tuesday. Giving Tuesday has passed, but it doesn't mean the giving season is over. Please consider going to republican.org slash donate and making even a small donation to the work that we do here. It's so critical to be able to bring you these uh, these podcast interviews. We don't advertise, so you don't have to fast forward through those advertisements. And so just asking you to heed our message from our executive director, Bob Inglis, to consider us on Giving Tuesday. Hey, Bob Inglis here. It's Giving Tuesday, and we hope you're in a giving mood. You know, throughout the year, we ask you to give us engagement uh, so that we can make the case that conservatives care about climate change. And once a year, and it is just once a year, we see if you want to join us in the way of giving financial support to Republican.org so that we can be on the ground in this crucial year ahead, um, speaking to fellow conservatives, uh, presenting to civic clubs, being on talk radio, uh, appearing before editorial boards, doing the things that create a constituency of support for action on climate change. Because once we make visible a conservative group, a constituency, for support on climate, federal legislators will lead. So it's vital for us to have the resources to be doing that in 2024. So here on Giving Tuesday, if you want to... Uh, to add to all the engagement you've been wonderful to give us throughout 2023, it'd be great if you'd uh, make a contribution uh, on this Giving Tuesday to give us a financial support to do those things that are so vital. Um, thank you for being part of our community. Thank you for caring about climate and for being one of those conservatives that's going to be visible and audible because of the work we're doing together. Bryce, it was so great to hear Zach uh, talk about the COP28, which is ongoing now for listeners that are catching this episode in real time. And just understanding, you know, so much happens at these climate conferences. It's good for me to hear what he is looking for, because then that becomes the news that I'm going to be looking for, most specific, specifically his coverage, of course. Yeah, no doubt. And great coverage so far that, you know, he's brought and their their team at Politico and slash, you know, E&E. Um, they've done just a, a great job there and, and everything that's happening on the ground there. So um, great to have Zach back. Zach's somebody we've known for a long time. and We've never with had him. him. That was his first time on the well, show. Well, we've I've worked with him for a while and, yeah. you know, you yeah. know, setting things up with Bob. and But yeah, first time on the podcast, but somebody I've known for, for a while. But having and him back in our circles, for sure. Yeah, 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 for sure. So it was great to have him back and great to hear his uh, all his expertise and you know, bringing everything to our listeners about COP and anything that you want to know about COP. So I uh, thank you, Zach, a big follow. If you want to follow him on Twitter or the platform formerly known as Twitter, now X <laughs> at Z Coleman. So Coleman with no E, just noting that for our right. listeners. And, uh, you know, I've been reflecting a lot on my own COP experiences, which were a bazillion years ago. I went to Bali in 2007. That was under the... Um, second Bush administration, second term of the second Bush administration. 
uh, where they created the Bali Road Map. I was there as part of the CODEL, the congressional delegation as a Senate staffer. And then I went back in 2009 to Copenhagen, where uh, I was there working with uh, as part of the NGO community. So, you know, those conferences can feel really overwhelming. You have people from all over the world. And so it is really, I mean, we talk a lot about needing to bring the rest of the world to the table. The world mm-hmm. is at the table. We just have to figure out what the solutions are that's going to fairly compel everyone to act. So hats yeah. off to everyone who is there now and who really, this is not the only time they're negotiating. They negotiate on this stuff all year round. If you're a State Department climate negotiator, you're constantly having these meetings with your counterparts in other countries. And so it does make me feel good, just this m- reminder that people are out there thinking about this. Yes, as we barrel toward the end of 2023, a few more episodes on deck. What do we have next week, Chelsea? Uh, it's a surprise price. <laughs> Ooh, I love surprises. It is uh, I'm tis sure the season. I'm sure too, yeah. Yes, who doesn't love a good surprise? It's a good way to get us ready for Christmas in just That's a couple right. weeks. Anticipation is everything. <laughs> I love that. Well, I won't surprise listeners uh, outside to tell you, which we do every single week, that we would love to have you sign up to stand with us if you haven't done so already. Sound like a broken record, republican.org forward slash join. It takes seconds. Would love to have you. Really appreciate Karen F. in New York, Devin B. in Utah, Skylar J. in Virginia, Robert C. in North Carolina, and finally, Marion V. in Vermont for standing with us this week. That's just a few that we want to shout out. We got had many others that decide to stand with us, but we would love to have you if you have not done so already. Again, republican.org forward slash join. Chelsea free to join, but also remember you can make that donation. So, uh, help us make the season bright. (laughs) Yes. We don't ask for a lot of things here on this podcast. We just ask for, uh, your listenership, which you are doing right now, if you're hearing this. So we always appreciate your investment, but you know, to stand with us, uh, power in numbers, we don't spam you, but you know, as far as uh, giving Tuesday, yeah, it's come and gone, but, uh, this is the only time of year that we will even extend the hand and say, we would love to have any support you want to give us when it comes to a dollar sign. Um, so anything you would like to do would be great, but, uh, we will forge on, uh, no matter what, continuing on with this season and then another season season eight in early 2024 so we will we will definitely let you know a listening schedule when that first episode of of season eight will debut in 2024 uh, certainly give us a follow on our social media platforms at republic en to stay tuned for that that's right and listeners we know your time is precious and time especially in the month of december is uh particularly Uh, comes at a premium. So we will let you go on this happy note. But again, thank you for always being here. We are so grateful to have you. You literally make our work possible. Have a great week. Enjoy your week ahead or hope you enjoyed your week weekend, wherever it is, whatever time of the week it is that you're listening to this, because we will be back again next Tuesday with another brand new episode of the Eco Right Speaks. Shels, we'll talk to you then. See you then. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader. 